Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> My name is Trevor, and uh, if we haven't met, I had the privilege of being the youth pastor here for almost 14 years, um, and it was a great, great honor. In the last uh, eight months or so, I've had uh, the privilege of volunteering here and helping to run um, some of our digital content, uh, mostly on our YouTube channel. So if you're not subscribed to uh, C3FW Creative on YouTube, do it right now. It's actually on the front page of the app now, just so you know, but if you click it, it will start playing immediately because it takes you to a playlist. So if you do that right now, just know you may bother the people around you. But um, yes, and my wife had great hopes that when I was done being the youth pastor, I would start dressing like an adult. And this morning I was like, how do I look? And she goes, it's fine, but that's not what I would wear. And I was like, why not? You wouldn't wear green shoes and a pink shirt every day? I don't know. So um, my wife had hopes, but it, it didn't work out for her. She tried. She tries. Um, hey, we are in the series Elijah, and actually the reason I'm probably up here and I got asked is because um, Elijah is actually my favorite, I don't know how to phrase this so it doesn't sound heretical, but my favorite person in the Bible, I know there's Jesus, and Jesus is really cool, and I love him. He's probably number one. <laughs> Elijah would be a very close second then, um, because Elijah just gets to do some really, really cool stuff in the Bible. If you've never read Elijah's story, I'm going to recap uh, pretty much all the cool stuff he gets to do here in a minute. But I've always just been fascinated by the things Elijah gets to do in the Bible, that God invites Elijah to participate in in the story. And he only gets about four chapters in the Bible. And there are plenty of people who get more chapters, who have more of their stories told. Uh, but to me, the stuff Elijah gets to do, I just read it and I'm like, this guy is crazy. And the stories he gets to do, the things he gets to participate in are just the coolest. And the Bible tells us in James, so we're going to start in the book of James. <clears throat> the writer of James tells us, actually, that in James 5, 17 and 18, it says, Elijah was as human as we are. Yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again. The sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. And I love this verse because, like I said, I love all the things Elijah gets to do. And it's really easy to read Elijah's story and say, why did Elijah get to do all these things? What was special about him? He did things that I could never do. And James, the writer of James reminds us that, yeah, Elijah did some crazy stuff, but yet he was just like us. There's no difference between Elijah and us. Elijah was fully bought into God's plan. He wanted to bring God's glory to God, and God used him to do cool stuff. And I think before we recap all these things, it's a really, really good reminder for us that we are also invited into the story that God is writing, that God can use us the same way he used Elijah. We probably won't get to experience as many cool things as Elijah did, um, but God can use us the same way. It's an invitation into his story. And so if you're not familiar with the story of Elijah, Elijah is asked to go to the most evil king who had ever lived, who happened to be the son of the previous most evil king who had ever lived, and he was supposed to go tell him that it wouldn't rain until he prayed that it would rain again. I don't know about you guys, I don't think I would want to talk to the most evil king who had ever lived, 
let alone give him a reason to hunt me for three and a half years. And Elijah starts his journey off. The thing God asked him to do was to, hey, we are going to teach this king a lesson, so go and tell him that it won't rain until I say it is. So that's what Elijah does. He follows that up with, because there's no rain, there's no food and water, right? So he goes and lives by a brook. God brings him food from ravens. And I've really struggled with this story because I've always wanted to know, how do the ravens bring him the food? Is it in their beak? Is it with their feet? Do they carry a basket? Because depending on which one it is, I'm more or less likely to eat what they're bringing. I, sorry, sorry, this is how I read the Bible. I, I don't know how you guys read the Bible. Um, but he gets brought food by ravens until the brook runs out. He then gets to go and live with a widow who never runs out of flour and oil. The story that Jordan talked about in week one. And then, oh yeah, that widow's son dies and he resurrects him. So he gets miraculously fed for three and a half years. He gets to raise someone back from the dead. And then last week, Brad talked about the story where Elijah's told, hey, it's finally time. And he goes and has this showdown on the mountain against 400 or 800 prophets. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's 1,200. Maybe you add them together. Um, he gets to have the showdown on the mountain against these prophets he douses his altar with water. He gets to see God call fireballs down from heaven. Maybe it just burns up. I don't know. I like to think God shot fire at it. Um, he gets to see fire call down from heaven. He then gets to pray that it will rain, and it rains. It then says he tucks his cloak into his belt, and he outruns a chariot. We don't know for how far or how long. And then he gets to stories we'll talk about today. He gets to walk for 40 days and nights after eating two meals. He gets to hear and see God. He gets to part a body of water and walk across it on dry land. And oh yeah, at the end of his life, he doesn't die. He goes up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Elijah gets to do all this stuff in about four chapters of the Bible. And it, span, it does span three and a half years, so it's not like he does it all immediately or day one. But when I read those stories, it's really, really easy for me to feel overwhelmed and be like, this dude is special. He's incredible. His commitment and faith to God is overwhelming to me. And then James reminds us that Elijah is no different than us. Except when God invited him into the story he was writing, Elijah accepted it. Elijah was willing to bring in the kingdom of God, to give God the glory, to do all these things, to point back to who God was by the way he lived, by what he was willing to live out. And I think that's so, so powerful. Like, there's nothing different between Elijah and us. That same invitation exists for us today that we are invited to usher in the kingdom of God, to reflect God's glory. We have access to the same power the Bible tells us who raised Jesus from the dead. We see Elijah raise someone from the dead. And we have the same power in us. But the second part of this story and the second part of this verse that, that I think is really powerful is there's this point here that Elijah was as human as we are, which means he also struggled and was broken. And I love that in the midst of these crazy things Elijah does, the Bible also gives us a picture into Elijah's brokenness and where he struggles. And so we're going to read most of 1 Kings 19 today, if you want to turn there. Um, 
I do read from the NLT, though, because I think it reads cooler, so don't hate me for that. 1 Kings 19, here's the story, and this picks up immediately after Elijah just has the showdown on the mountain. It's been three and a half years. He prays that it will rain, and it finally is rained. And this is like the next day or the next week. Um, this is where we pick up the story. 1 Kings 19, 1. It says, when Ahab got home, Ahab, remember, being the most evil king who had ever lived, who was the son of the previous most evil king who had ever lived, he told Jezebel, his wife, who is also evil. There you go. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah just spends three and a half years proving to everyone that God is real. He gets one more death threat. They've probably been trying to kill him for three and a half years. Or at least catch him and torture him till he makes it rain. And this is the threat that sends him over the edge. So as he goes alone into the wilderness and he asks God to kill him. That's where Elijah gets in this story. And I think something that we see here, I think there's a couple things. And I think the first one is, um, I think we see Elijah being depleted. I think in Elijah's mind, and this is some speculation, right? Because the Bible doesn't tell us why he feels that way. Uh, in Elijah's mind, I think he thinks that when it rains, there's a finish line, that he has a goal he's pushing toward, that he's like, this is the mark that I'm pursuing. And he gets there and he achieves the goal and he does what God told him to do. And then the very next day, there's still a death threat on him. I think he thinks that maybe it was over when I get to this mark and he, hit, he gets there and realizes it's not over. And I think that's true for us as well. If any of you ever set a goal, pursued something, pushed so hard for it, you get there and you feel empty afterwards. For me, I think back to the first time um, I've experienced a little bit of depression in my life on and off. Um, the first time I recall experiencing it was shortly after high school graduation. And it was, you work so hard for this goal, and this is what you're supposed to pursue. And I got there and achieved it and felt like I felt empty. Um, and it took a long time, even a couple of years later, to look back and realize what I was even experiencing. But, you know, for about eight months after high school graduation, I was, was in a dark pit um, and just, just really, really struggling. And there's a couple times in my life, and, and some of them stem from being depleted from pursuing something. And for us as people, I think there's a reason God gives us the Sabbath. God tells us to recharge. We're supposed to do these things because we can easily find ourselves broken and empty. And Elijah finds himself here in a state of brokenness and emptiness. And I just want to take a second here to say, um, and no, I say this from a place who is um, knowing what I've experienced the last uh, eight months being out of full-time ministry. But it's really easy to forget that your pastors here at this church go through the exact same thing. 
we walk alongside people, we push so hard for goals, to, to love people, um, and yet there's always just one more thing, one more brokenness. You can celebrate the great things God is doing, but then you also hear about all the brokenness that is still happening and still exists. And it's really easy, and I've seen it in all of your staff members, to get overwhelmed and broken. And I just want to throw that out there as a reminder that they can use love and encouragement as well. They are no different than Elijah, who I fully believe they are called by God and do some amazing stuff, but will end up in broken places as well. And I know that's true of all of you. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there as for that, and, and especially this upcoming weekend, because I know for me, um, the youth trips especially, you'd get to a youth trip, and it would be awesome. And then afterwards, for four to six to eight weeks, I was empty. Um, and there's a big youth trip coming up this week, and I would ask that you just pray for Nick um, and keep him in mind. Um, as, as we have on this weekend, um, that's a big deal and takes a lot of effort and planning. And I just ask that you, you pray for him, encourage him through this. Um, he's killing it. So uh, just remember him this weekend. Going on, though, um, the second thing I want to throw out here is I think Elijah makes a huge mistake. And it's a mistake I've made a ton in my life as well. In verse 3, it says this. Oh, can't find verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Verse 4, he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, and he asked God to kill him. Now, I, I fully believe there is a spiritual discipline of solitude that we are asked to connect to God alone and silence also as part of a corporate worship. I think all these things are good. But I fully believe if you've been around for a few years, uh, I think I've given five sermons on loneliness at this point. Um, I fully believe that we were designed by God to need community with people. And Elijah in this moment abandons everyone and pushes everyone away. And he falls into a depression. In college, my second major experience with depression um, I had to uh, take a college class where I wrote a 70-page paper on the book of Philippians. If you've never read the book of Philippians, it's four chapters. And I spent 20 hours a weekend in the library, and honestly, I hate the book to this day. Like, I still just, like, can't read Philippians. And I actually um, broke up with Courtney. <laughs> I was like, Courtney, you must be the problem. <laughs> no, I learned that spending 20 hours a week in the library makes me depressed um, and, and alone in isolation. And in my response to the feeling, not knowing what I was doing, I did. I pushed everyone away, and it actually sent me darker. And then three days later, I was like, hey, Courtney, you're not the problem. And she's like, eh, I don't know if I can trust you. Like, That's fair. Barbara and I had a nice chat when I asked her if I could marry her daughter. <laughs> But for me, like I've experienced what Elijah does, I understand what he's saying, and you, you fall into a darkness or you think something else is the problem and you push everyone away. The problem is we need people who can remind us of truth. And I love Michael to death, but you know what he told me after I broke up with Courtney? He goes, yeah, I thought you were depressed and that wasn't the problem. And I was like, hey, bro, we lived together four years. Why didn't you maybe tell me that before I broke up with Courtney? That would have been a nice thing to do. We need people just like Elijah did. He walked alone into the wilderness and in that moment had no one to remind him what truth was. 
We need people around us who can make us better, who can bring joy to our life, who can remind us what truth is. If we are unhealthy, we need people. Don't push them away, lean into them. Unless they're toxic people, then absolutely push them away because they're bringing you down. Find healthy people that can make you better. If you are healthy, find the people around you who need connection, who need relationship, who need you to remind them who they are and what truth is. Elijah in this moment needed someone, but he had pushed everyone away. But the really cool thing in this whole story is what happens next. God doesn't leave Elijah where he is, letting him wallow and just be like, yep, Elijah, that's what you want. Here you go, and kills him. No, God shows up and meets him where he is and invites him to continue the story that God is writing, reminds him of who he is, of what truth is. But first, God lets him kind of sit with it. So um, verse five, going on in the story, it says, he laid down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank. He laid down again. The angel of the Lord came and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Then he came to a cave where he spent the night. All right, this is another just invitation into my brain. I always wonder like, does Elijah just walk as a zombie? Does he walk for 40 days and nights? And if so, why couldn't God have helped him run a little faster? Like, sped him up. I don't know. Does he get asleep? These are the things I really wrestle with when I read these, these verses. He travels 40 days and nights to the mountain of God, and he came to a cave there, and he spent the night. God invites him to meet him, to see his presence, and Elijah is faithful to God the whole way, and even in his brokenness, he understands that God is God, and God is where I need to go. He very easily could have just continued to lay there until he died. But instead, he gets up, he follows God, even in this moment, not even trusting or necessarily believing God, which you'll see from what he says next. So God asks him, he says this, what are you doing here, Elijah? In verse 10, it says, Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. How many times have you guys ever felt like the only one? The only one trying to do this, the only one who is doing this, no one else is around you cares, no one else believes, no one else is as trying as hard as you are. These are often, sometimes they're true, I guess, but oftentimes they're, they're lies that we believe that bring us down. And in this moment, Elijah believes this lie that he is the only person left who is following God. Now remember, this kingdom had been four years of, or more, of evil reign. They had previous evil kings. They had led the country away from God. And Elijah truly believes in this moment he is the only one that is following God, that there is no one else. And God's gonna remind him later how that's untrue. But these are the lies he believes because he isolates himself. He pushes everyone away. He has no one else to remind him. The Bible literally says he has a servant who was with him, following him, who 
probably was also following God. But in that moment, he's like, you know, I'm the only one. There's no one. It's just me. And so here's what God does. Verse 11, he says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast, the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. God asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? We get the exact same response. He hasn't learned yet. He says, I've zealously served the Lord, the God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord told him, <laughs> I kind of love this response, but it also makes me a little sad. God doesn't actually address what he says. He just gives him his next step. <laughs> he says, the Lord told him, go back the way you came, travel the wilderness to Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abulamla, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu. Anyone who escapes Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. The very next verse, it says, Elijah went to the field. And I love this passage because it's such a good reminder that God doesn't just leave us where we are. In our lives, we will experience highs and lows, ups and downs. There'll be great victories, there'll be goals that we pursue, but achieving those may leave us empty. We may isolate ourselves, leaving us empty. And God in this story reminds us that like he is there and has never left us. He lets Elijah sit there for a little bit and I think that's maybe why there's this 40-day walk because the Bible kind of hints that Elijah maybe was teleported as well. He's talking to someone in a conversation. He says, well, when I leave, the Spirit's gonna move you from place to place. You can take that to mean like the Spirit just helped him hide. I take it to mean Elijah was teleported. So we know that like God can do whatever he wants, right? And yet God allows him to walk for 40 days to the mountain. And I wonder if there's some like allowing Elijah to process on his own while God is with him. He's comforting him, but he's letting him process through what he's feeling because sometimes we just need a little time. But God is with him for those 40 days. He's allowed to walk day and night eating those two meals God reminds him in the cave that I've never left you. There are 7,000 other people who have never left you, that you are not in this alone, that we're in this together, that I have your back, that I love you. And there's just this cool moment here. And, and for us, there's not necessarily one point today, right? There's a whole bunch of things, just reading Elijah's story and, and asking what do we learn from it. I think, again, there's a reminder that we are invited into the story that God is writing that we are all able to usher in the kingdom of God and we may not pray that it won't rain for three and a half years, we may not raise someone from the dead, we may not get to outrun a chariot, mostly because there are no chariots, but we may not get to do these cool things that Elijah did, but we are still invited using the same power 
that Elijah had access to, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, we are invited into the story that God is writing to impact the community around us and to reflect the glory of who God is. I think there's also a very clear part of the story where like we need people and we need God oftentimes to remind us of what truth is because our view of truth will get distorted based on how we feel, where we are in that moment. But God is still God. God is king. God is good. God is love. God is writing this story that we are invited to. And just like Elijah, he was as human as we are. And we get to be invited into the story too. Would you pray with me? God, I just, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you don't leave us or abandon us, God, when we're, when we're struggling, um, when we get in low places. God, I thank you that you remind us of what truth is. God, you remind us of how great you are. And I just pray for each one of us today, God, that you surround us with truth, surround us with your glory, God, and remind us of who you've made us to be and how we can usher in your kingdom, God. Amen.